never forget why you are the church. Well, we're going to get back to our study of God's Christmas list. And uh, during this season, children everywhere and even some adults are making lists of things that they desire to have uh, for Christmas. As a matter of fact, you can go ahead and turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2 is where we'll be this morning or tonight, whatever it is. I'm very confused right now. Luke chapter 2. If you're there, say amen. 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 Well, that's cool. All right, all right, Luke chapter 2. Now, in doing this, you know, it's kind of fun to kind of think about, you know, what people want for Christmas and all that good, good stuff, but I researched the most iconic Christmas list items throughout the decades. Now, that doesn't mean just here recently, that doesn't mean just this season, but that means throughout the decades, I did a, ten, a top 10 list starting from 10 all the way to number 1. Uh, of, of what people have really wanted, uh, iconic Christmas list items. And the first one, a craze that Whammo started in the 1950s would be hula hoops. Do we have our pictures? Hula hoops. Has anyone ever hula hooped? Has anyone ever wanted a hula hoop for Christmas? Okay. Well, that was, it's 10, guys. You ain't got to like just disregard the list. My goodness. But either way, all right. Now, I wish I had a hula hoop because I'd have someone come up here and do a hula hoop little session, but that, that'd be for another time. But number nine, easy bake oven. Has anyone ever wanted an easy bake oven? Okay. All right. Some of y'all ask like the only bacon you've done is easy bake oven, right? Okay. Number eight for you nerds, Rubik's Cube. Yeah? Oh, DJ, you nerd? That's okay. All right. All right. I've never, listen, I don't have the, the mental capacity to uh, enjoy a Rubik's Cube. It just doesn't. I tried. Like, I literally sat down and tried to enjoy it, and uh, I did not. But a Rubik's Cube is number eight. Number seven, Mr. and Mrs. You are going ahead of me a little bit, bro. I got to announce, and then they see. Man, okay. All right. Because, you know, the last one, there's some suspense. All right, Mr. and Mrs. Potato Head. Has anyone ever played with Mr. and Mrs. Potato Head? Okay, all right. Role models, I like it, okay. Who still plays with Mr. and Mrs. Potato Head? Well, hold on, a lot of hands went up. Who has ever played or, or wanted to have Mr. and Mrs. Potato Head? That is crazy. Really, even the young people. I don't feel like I did. All right, number six, Nerf football. Yeah, you like Nerf football. Yeah, okay. All right, now we're getting somewhere. Number five, there's a lot of, you know, I guess controversy around this dude, but Tickle Me Elmo in 1996, all right? That was one of the, that was like a craze. Everyone wanted Tickle Me Elmo. I, I don't know how to do that, but you tickle, ooh, you know, that kind of thing, and, you know, kind of a weird situation. But anyway, number four, Barbie Dream House. Barbie Dream House. Oh, now you're behind. My God. <laughs> Listen, he's doing that mess on purpose, too. <laughs> I'm sorry, Joe, for even saying anything. But uh, uh, Barbie Dreamhouse, some of you dudes up in here still got that in your, in your bedroom. That's okay, though, all right? Number three, Etch-A-Sketch. That's actually one that I did myself. Okay, call me Picasso, right? So Etch-A-Sketch, now that's getting up in there. That's number three. Right, so, so we, we all know what that is. Number two, the number two most iconic is a Nintendo. Has anyone ever played the old school Nintendo? See, I, growing up, I wasn't allowed to have a game system. We had the Wii, 
uh, back when it was like, you know, if you didn't have a Wii, you weren't like an American nuclear family, you know what I'm saying? Um, and so we got the Wii, and of course, you know, what happened to any kid that gets something like that, you get obsessed with it, and we were playing Super Mario Smash Brothers, I don't know if you ever heard of that, and it was like one of those things, y'all have heard of that, really? Yeah, that's nice. And so, so it was one of those things to where, you know, you would play, and literally, it was like, I'm going to beat this game in one sitting, you know what I'm saying? And it was like hours and hours, and I was never used to that. Well, uh, one day, the Wii was gone. And uh, about, you know, a few months after, so we didn't have it for long, maybe a year, actually, maybe a year. And, uh, and so I said, oh my goodness, where's the Wii? Someone, someone has broken into our house and stolen the most precious thing we have. Uh, where, is, where is the Wii? And they said, oh, it was an electrical storm. And up until about, an electrical storm, it's like lightning and stuff, it, it blew the Wii up. And up until about two years ago, I believed that mess. <laughs> and here's why I say, uh, and, and y'all probably don't remember that, because, you, you know, I guess it just, you know. But, uh, man, all of our TVs are fine. All of our appliances are fine. It, it, was, uh, it was just the Wii. And so, anyway. Uh, but, hey, I know that I had a friend <laughs> named Zach, and he had a bunch of games, and, and I would go to his house all the time, and, we'd, and I would get my fix on, on I was not any good. Um, but, uh, and he had a Nintendo DS. Anyone know what a Nintendo DS is? You kids know what a Nintendo DS is? Yeah, so that's, that's cool, too. So, number one, do not mess this up, Joe, okay? All right? You're doing a great job. Love you, brother. All right. So number one, a little doll that had dimples, smiles, came with a birth certificate, and so I thought you put it up there. <laughs> oh, you know. Okay, stop. I have. Okay, real quick, real quick. I'm losing the classroom tonight. Hey, if you have your Lord, say amen. amen. The preacher's preaching. Okay, let me, let me gain this, this back a little bit. All right? I study, y'all. I put hours into this. Let me, write, let me read this description. A little doll that had dimples and smiles and came with a birth certificate and some cool gear in some instances caused riots. And that would be number one, Cabbage Patch Kids. Who wanted a Cabbage Patch Kids when they were a kid? Yeah, they, they are pretty funky looking. That's kind of scary, actually. But anyway, how silly. Now, that was just fun, but how silly can we be sometimes in the pursuit of that perfect gift? One of my favorite Christmas movies outside of the original, you know, you know, Santa Claus and all that stuff, you know, with Tim Allen and everything, and the Grinch. Grinch is all-time best. But one of my favorites is with Arnold Schwarzenegger. I forget what it's called, but it's when he, Jingle All the Way, man. That is one of the best. Why? Because it was all about getting that perfect gift. And man, I'm going to tell you right now. I don't know. I don't know what they were eating in that city. But if I'm seeing Arnold Schwarzenegger, I'm giving him the gift. Like you can have it, brother. But that is. It can become silly for us. All this work, all this energy, all this time. Rarely can a kid tell you what they got for Christmas last year, though. But in this time when we should be especially celebrating the birth of Christ, what about what God desires from us? And that's really what this is all about. I mean, the greatest gift that has ever been given came on Christmas. Now, again, it may have not been December 25th, but it is what we celebrate on Christmas. Jesus Christ, the Messiah, Emmanuel, God with us. 
Jesus, who through the sub, uh, being our substitute in his death at Calvary, his miraculous resurrection on the third day, offers us the free gift of salvation. Already paid for. I tell you what, would you, could you imagine going into a store and getting that big gift for your kid and him saying, oh, no, don't worry about it, it's been paid for. We would get more excited than that than we do our own salvation. Now, there's a problem lying in that. You know why? Because we've lost focus. That free gift of salvation, we should never get tired of celebrating and thanking God and living in gratitude and acknowledging the free gift of salvation. Amen, church? I pray you have uh, received this gift, and if not, I pray you will tonight. So if God had a Christmas list, now keep in mind, I'm not, I'm not trying to insinuate that God is up, is up in heaven writing a Christmas list, but if, if he did, he has desires for us in our life, and if he did it in the form, just since it's the Christmas season of a list, what would be on it? One of the things on this list we talked about last week was God desires your time. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, for this night. I thank you for your word. Allow me to preach with liberty, uh, power, and clarity tonight. Lord, I pray to someone here who has not received the free gift of salvation, that tonight is the night of salvation for them. So in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. amen. No matter the cost, no matter the inconvenience, our time is no longer our own. We are on the Father's time. And maybe we'll be reminded of Galatians 2.20 that says this, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Our life is not our own. Mary and Joseph had every intention of spending their time on what they wanted. Uh, and and, and that, that, why not? But God had a plan for them, and thank God that he did, because through the Messiah, we can all uh, have the opportunity to be saved. May we never view our life as our own, though. Well, that's pretty limiting, is it not? Preacher, you're telling me that, that the life that I live and, and, the, and everything that I do is not my own, and, 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 and Jesus is my master, not just my Lord, and, and that's where we do bad in the church. We sit here and we say, Lord and Savior, Lord and Savior, and we put so much emphasis on Savior that people desire a Savior, but they'll, they'll leave the Lord behind. Can I tell you, he's the same person. <laughs> your Savior is also your Lord. Jesus is master of your life. The life with the most freedom is the life surrendered to God's will. And God desires our time. Another thing on God's Christmas list is your steadfastness. Your steadfastness. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, Always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Now, I don't know about you, but this scripture is one that has to be underlined. Because if you are truly a servant of the Lord, this scripture gives you encouragement. Because sometimes in ministry, sometimes in our lives, sometimes when we feel like, man, is anything that I'm doing meaning anything? Is any, is any of the work, is any of the studying, is any of the taking the opportunities and the sharing and the, the ministering, all these things, does it, does it mean anything? And you read that anything we do for the Lord is not in vain. That is an awesome promise to us. But that word steadfast means to be firm. 
It means to have conviction. Can I tell you something? If there's something that our society, our culture does not have, it is conviction. Anything goes. Uh, uh, people, people's thoughts and people's beliefs and people's perspective are based on what's going on. There's an issue in that, and here's why. Because what's going on is ever-changing. If, if you base your conviction on what's happening around you, then you'll never actually have a conviction. You'll just have a reaction. But if you base your conviction on a truth that is never changing, then you can live life firm and steadfast. Does that make sense tonight, church? Listen, you're not going to sleep like you did this morning. You better be with me tonight. Amen. Amen. This is, my, this, this is, this is, this is a little small group that I like. We're just gonna, I'm going to preach to you. going to hear. This morning, I want you to also know this, just, just for, just for uh, your preacher's sake. Man, pray for our church. Pray for our church. A lot of times, unless you are, are um, you know, behind the pulpit or unless you are looking uh, to, to see what is going on and you're not just coming in here going through the motions, you'll realize that there's just certain times to where you feel a lot of opposition. And uh, of course, the, the topic didn't help it this morning, um, but this morning was one of those mornings. So pray for our church, amen? Okay, but anyway, we ought to be steadfast. In other words, to be steadfast is not to be tossed to and fro. To be steadfast is not to be consistently inconsistent, in and out, up and down, hurt all the time, absent. No, that is not standing firm in the faith. That's not conviction. There's no conviction in that. We, we get uh, two examples in Scripture within the Christmas account that shows steadfast faith. And we're going to read the, uh, a bunch of Scripture right here just to kind of set the table. Luke chapter 2, verse 21. We'll read all the way through 38 right now. And then uh, we'll look at these examples. Okay, if you're there, say read. And when eight days were accomplished for the circumcision of the, or circumcising of the child, his name was called Jesus, which was so named of the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male that opened at the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. Uh, and to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and the same man was just in the vow, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the, ch the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then took he him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at, at those things which were spoken of him. And Simeon blessed him and said unto Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Yea, a sword shall pierce through thy own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. And there was one, Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Aser. She was of great age and had lived with the, her husband seven years from her virginity. And she was a widow of about fourscore and four years, which departed not from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And she, coming in in that instant, gave thanks likewise unto the Lord and spake of him to all them that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. See, Mary and Joseph carried out 
the pronouncement of the angel. They named their son Jesus. And by the way, what is the big deal about the name Jesus? Why is Jesus such a beautiful name? Well, Jesus is the Greek form of the Hebrew name Joshua, which means Yahweh is salvation. So salvation had come. What a fitting name for this little baby boy. As a matter of fact, Matthew 1, 21 says this, and she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. Yahweh is our salvation, for he shall save his people from their sins. What a beautiful, what a wonderful, and what a powerful name it is, the name of Jesus. So Mary and Joseph were obedient. And as was custom, Jesus was circumcised on the eighth day. Then, after a time of purification, they went to Jerusalem to present the boy to the Lord and to offer sacrifices. As a matter of fact, this is something like what we do with baby dedications. And really what we're doing is we're dedicating the parents to the child to dedicate that child to the Lord. That's what a baby dedication is. And that's exactly what they were doing. They were dedicating this little baby boy named Jesus so that's what they were doing amen it's way too difficult to change these right now hey here we go oh, my bad i'm not used to this one but anyway <laughs> so then they were introduced to a man named simeon now, God's word gives a description of this man, Simeon. If you would look in verse 25, it says this, And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. Now, I want you to know something. That's a pretty big uh, description for somebody. He was, he was just, meaning that he was correct and righteous. He was devout, meaning he was a God-fearing man. Do you realize that you cannot be devout for the Lord if you do not fear the Lord? A lot of people, if you, if you look in the church, now listen, I, I know there's a lot of commercials, but if you look at the church as a whole today, you'll find a lot of people that say that they're devout, but yet they're devout on a Sunday morning. You'll find a lot of people that say they're devout, but they're devout when the revival comes, or that big speaker comes, or that sin group comes, or whatever it is, VBS once a week, once a year, or, or a week once a year. Devout, that's not devout. And the reason why we don't see true devotion in the church is because I believe that we don't see a people fearing God like they should. I don't know how we can hear God's word and not respond appropriately, amen? But so often, every single Sunday in, Sunday night in, Wednesday in, Wednesday out, all the things we, we hear preaching that, that, is, that is telling us exactly what God says, yet we do not respond appropriately. But this man was waiting for the consolation. That is the comfort, the encouragement of Israel. Now, who might that be? Go ahead, tell me, who might that be? Would that be Jesus? That's exactly who that would be. This baby born Jesus Christ the Messiah, and the Holy Ghost was upon him, so much so that the Holy Ghost gave Simeon a special revelation. Look at verse 26. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Now, we are not told how old Simeon is, but his character speaks for himself. 
A lot can be said about how a person handles waiting. As a matter of fact, just a, uh, a few weeks ago, we looked at the paradox uh, about, about waiting on the Lord, and we're actually uh, talking about being still and knowing that he is God now on Wednesday nights. And if there's one thing that our culture does not like to do, it is waiting. Why? Because we so often do not have to. And that might be why God makes us wait so often because we know that he knows that we can have anything else we want in the flesh. But when it comes to things of the, of the Lord, there might be a waiting period and being faithful during that waiting. So what was Simeon waiting for? Obviously, during his waiting, he was it, it tells us he was just he was devout. The Holy Ghost was upon him. He was doing all the things that he should be doing while he was waiting. But he was waiting for the coming of Christ. Church, do you not see a parallel here? Simeon was told that he would not die until he saw Jesus. That's, that's a pretty major statement. I mean, I mean, you're, you're looking at, okay, does that mean tomorrow? Does that mean next week? When does that mean? Again, we're not told the exact details in this text, but, but how long did he wait? As believers on this side of Calvary, with the strength and guidance of the Holy Spirit, we, just like Simeon, should long to see Jesus. We are waiting to see Christ. We are waiting for the Savior to come back, not the first time, but the second time. We aren't promised that we won't taste death momentarily here on earth, but then we will see Jesus in that moment. And Jesus told us to be ready. I tell you, it was a precious thing being at the pavilion today, and I talked to a 90-year-old, I talked to a 96-year-old, and, and uh, it was just really cool because um, all those people, you know, it, it kind of got a little bit time to get started and stuff, but we, you know, we only had about seven minutes of caroling, and they're like, no, you, you need to do more, <laughs> and so we did a few hymns and stuff, and, and it was just really cool thinking. In my mind, it was to think that, you know, those people, they, they probably don't think it, they probably don't. Uh, acknowledge, and maybe they do, but they could very well see Jesus before they die. Jesus, come back right now. Our job is not to know when. Our job is to, is to continue to serve him until. And so it was just a beautiful thing to be there knowing that, hey, it doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter how young you are. God has a purpose and a plan for your life. And the purpose is not just to be scared of life. It's not just to, to come to church and go home and, and live how you want to live. Our purpose is to, just like Simeon, as we wait, to be just and devout and full of the Holy Ghost. That is our purpose. And Jesus told us to be ready. Look at Matthew 24. Watch, therefore, for ye know not what hour your Lord does come. But know this, that if the good man of the house had known in what, in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore be ye also ready, for in such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. Think about it. If we knew when Jesus would, would return, you know what we would do? We would live our lives how we want to right up until he comes. That's how a lot of people would do. As, I mean, I'm just being honest with you. Think about it. If I knew that he was coming in 2037 and whatever it is, and don't cut this or clip this to where I'm doing like an announcement of when he's coming because I don't know. No one knows. But let's just say that we did know. Let's just say that we somehow found out, which is not going to happen because God's word says it's not going to happen. 
when he was going to return. You know what we do? We say, oh, we got time. Oh, I, I can go grind for, uh, for, that, for those riches. I can go and, and do this. I can go and do I can do all the things that I wanted to do in the world because, hey, he's coming, he's returning, and then I'll get right. I know when I need to get right because I know when he's coming. No, 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 no. That's not how it works. See, he could come tomorrow. You know what that, he could come in the next 10 minutes. You know what that does for us, church? That keeps us faithful. That keeps us remaining in a, in a constant state of being ready, a constant state of awake and readiness. And that's exactly what God desires from us. He desires us to be steadfast. Now, how do we watch? How do we stay ready? Well, we remain steadfast, firm, confident in our convictions. But for how long? Think about that for a second. How long, how, how long do we stay steadfast? Well, I believe, although we are not told, that Simeon was older in years. Why? Well, look at his reaction to seeing Jesus. As a matter of fact, uh, he was probably about 84 years old. As, and, and, and some people say, now I, I, this is not uh, a big deal, but some people say that maybe uh, he was 84 even more because he was a widow, right? You got the answer, brother? Oh, are you, you said you're 84? Hey, so he, he was Larry's age. That's what I'm talking about. So we, have a, we have a real life Simeon right here in our midst, amen? <laughs> Yeah, that's good, dude. That's awesome. I didn't know if you had like a, you know, resource to set his exact age. You know, I was like, that's pretty cool. I didn't find it. But anyway, he was at least 84 years old. That's, I mean, now that I know that Larry's 84, I mean, I'm not going to say that's very old, but that's, that's, that's pretty up there in years. Amen. You know, that's, that's not no spring chicken, right? So we don't know how, when he started to wait, but we do know, we do know that, uh, that he was waiting for a long time. And I believe that we see this through his reaction to seeing Jesus. Look at verse 27. And he came by the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him after the custom of the law, then he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. See, godly character will enable godly direction. Let's continue reading. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Now, this is a pretty big reaction. This is something that has been thought about for a while. Uh, this is not the reaction of someone who has been waiting for a week or maybe even months. This, this, is, this is no doubt a reaction from somebody who has been steadfast and firm and been waiting and longing for this day and is now ready to die because of it. See, Simeon saw Jesus and knew that he could now die in peace. Talking about a steadfast faith. Now, we're going to keep on reading in verse 33. And he marveled at those things which were spoken of him. And Simeon blessed him and said unto Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Yea, and a sword shall pierce through, my own, through thy own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Now, this is when it gets a little bit darker, right? See, Simeon tells them that Jesus would be opposed and that Mary would have her heart broken. Well, we know that that happened. We know that he was so opposed that he sent him, they sent him to Calvary to die for, for uh, accusations he didn't do, for sins that he never committed. And we know that Mary, his mother, was heartbroken in such a way that he told the beloved disciple John, hey, take my mom and take care of her. 
So this, this came to pass. He tells them that he will be the source through which some in Israel would be exalted and others brought low. In other words, some would reject the Messiah and some would accept the Messiah. Jesus would bring salvation. Simeon was steadfast. Now we are introduced to another person who was also steadfast, and that is a prophetess named Anna. Look in verse 36. And there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Aser. She was of a great age and had lived with her husband seven years from her virginity. And she was a widow of about four score and four years. I apologize. It was Anna who was at least 84 years old. I got that switched up. And, uh, and but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And she coming in that instant gave thanks likewise unto the Lord and spake of them to all them that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. Now right here, Anna, a prophetess, she had preserved her Jewish pedigree. Like I said, at least 84 years old, devoted completely to the Lord's service in the temple. Anna was steadfast. She had stood firm in her convictions. And when she saw Jesus, she announced who he was. You realize that when you meet Jesus, you realize that when Jesus saves you, your job is to now announce who he is to everybody else. Uh, that, that is a verbal responsibility. You are to share the gospel, and that is also a living responsibility. You are to show the gospel through holy living according to the gospel. You know, it's really cool that this has kind of worked out the way it is, but uh, there was a, a lady um, at the pavilion today, and, and it really matches the whole steadfast situation here, and her name was Miss Dorothy. I guess they call her Miss Dot. Miss, Miss Dot is 96 years old. She is the oldest uh, resident at the pavilion. And I walked by her and we came in and, and she said something to me. She said, she said, hey, hey, come here. And I said, okay. She says, I'm a PK too. And I was like, okay. Now I shared this with Heather and, she, and I said, I think that the Lord gave her a sense that I was a preacher. And Heather said, dude, it was your suit. I was like, you made that so not as cool. But anyway, <laughs> but I walked by her and she said, hey, you know, I just want you to know that I'm a PK. And, you know, and I was like, oh, really? I said, well, I got two PKs right there, you know, River and Ridley. And and uh, and we actually we took a picture with her and stuff. And, and here's why. So she told me that she said, yeah, I survived. They'll be OK kind of thing. You know, typical PK jokes, you know. And then at the end of it, she said uh, she said this. she said she was talking about her dad and and how he moved a lot and this and that and how. Um, you know, her brother kind of struggled with that and everything. And she said that she said, but I would not change a thing. And she and, and basically what she said is because I was I was grown up to love the Lord. <laughs> she says at 96 years old, she comes to church at that what at the little pavilion. She goes to that service every single Sunday. Can I tell you something that's steadfast? That is firm. That is that is having conviction. And she does not realize how much that blessed me just to hear that, hey, you know what? We don't get to take off. We don't get to retire from being a believer. You can retire from your job. You can retire from, from whatever. You can become an empty nester. You can do all the things, but you will never, ever be too old to glorify Jesus. Aren't you glad about that? So anyway, Anna announced who he was. Understand this setting. The Old Testament is still in place. I know we're in the New Testament, but the Old Testament law was still in place here. Right. The, the grace, grace had come, but, but Jesus had not resurrected yet. The church had not been founded. 
So in other words, according to Old Testament law, a legal claim has to be confirmed by two or three witnesses. And Simeon claimed Jesus as the hope of Israel. Anna, therefore, was the second witness introducing Jesus as the long-expected Savior. Now, according to Old Testament law, Jesus was now confirmed that's who he was. Now, where does that leave us today? Well, everyone turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. <clears throat> We're going to read verses 50 through 57. All right, when you get there, say, I'm there. Now, this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, in other words, because all this is true, because we know the promise that in a moment, we're promised that we'll be changed to be like Christ. My beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Guys, if that's not a promise that we can hold on to, I don't know what is. And in a time and in a culture where people are dropping off like flies, Church, listen, I know, I, you, you, you may not, I know that not all you may think about it every single day, but let me just tell you something. I think about it every single day, the state of the church. Steadfastness is no longer a character that we can claim as a whole. We have a culture that says, well, if something doesn't happen here, I'll go there. Something doesn't happen there, I'll try again the third time. If that doesn't happen, I'll just leave the church, church hurt. And then every time someone will talk about the church, I'll tell my bad experience. But, but I love Jesus. We have, we, have a, we have a culture where we come to church and, and we do anything but what church should do. Church was not a time to just come and listen. Church was a time to start working for the Lord. Yes, the preaching of the word will happen. Yes, the, the, the worship, corporate worship will happen. But, but listen, this is a time of refueling. This is a time of learning and growing. Why? So when you're out there, because you're out there more than you're in here, that's when you can be abounding in the work of the Lord and showing the conviction that we have through his word. Amen? So tonight, are you steadfast? God desires us to be firm. God desires us to never give up and never quit. When heads bow and eyes close all over this place.